Man, I'm glad I came to church, aren't you? Thank the Lord for that. If you've got your Bible here today, I'm going to be preaching on the Christmas message so you can find your spot in the Matthew 1 and 2 and keep a finger over in the Luke 1 and 2. We're going to be bouncing back and forth. But the title of our message here this morning is The Signs of Christmas. I don't know about you, but it, it seems to me that Christmas starts earlier and earlier every year. It's been called the Christmas creep, and it refers to the Christmas decorations, the music, the trees, the movies, the cookies, the carols, the cards, the presents, and the pageants. When all of that begins to appear weeks before Thanksgiving, and even in some cases before Halloween, like this year, and if you have small kids or grandkids, then one of the signs that you know Christmas is near are the wish lists or the letters to Santa that are written with care. I used to write one every year. In fact, I can remember writing one on my mom and dad's old typewriter, make sure that they know what I wanted for Christmas. But I came across an interesting article that highlighted letters that children had written to old St. Nick, and these letters were submitted from parents all over the United States, and some of these letters are just hilarious. Here's what I mean. First one. Dear Santa, there are three boys in this family. Jeff is two, and he is good some of the time. Richard is four, and he is usually bad. Norman is seven, and he is good all the time. Sincerely, Norman. <laughs> dear, dear Santa, we all love Christmas and Easter, but there's nothing good in between. Could you please talk to God and put a good holiday in there? Your friend, Johnny. Dear Santa, this is Reggie. I've been good this year. And if you really want to know what I want for Christmas, just text my mama. She has Amazon on her phone. <laughs> and if uh, you're anything like Miss Caitlin, the Amazon queen over there, thank God for Amazon. Dear Santa, even though I know the truth, I want you to know how much I have enjoyed believing in you these past eight and a half years. Love, Anna. <laughs> Dear Santa, thank you for the baby brother. But what I asked for last Christmas was a puppy. This is your last chance. Merry Christmas, Jace. <laughs> this is probably the best one. Dear Santa, we don't have cookies this year. Mama is on a diet, but you can have some of my Cheez-Its and help yourself to Dad's beer in the fridge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That had to be on the, the plate that they left for Santa the night of. Good gracious. Well, when we begin to see the tinsel and hear the tunes, when we see the toys and you notice the tacky sweaters, then it is apparent that Christmas is near. The signs of Christmas. And just so when you peer into the Bible and go back to that very first Christmas, you see a major convergence of supernatural signs that signaled the birth of the Savior. Now, leading up to Christ's advent, there was a flurry of angelic activity. There was amazing miracles and fulfilled prophecy. 
And these signs foretold that God was up to something big and that the world was about to change. And in this message today, I want to highlight what I have called the signs of Christmas. And as we look at these signs pertaining to the first coming of Christ, I hope that maybe toward the end of the message I can make a connection to the signs connected to the second coming of Christ, which we see all around us in our world today. So we're going to talk about six signs of Christmas. Are you ready? Here's number one, the sign of the sun. And I'll be reading from Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The Bible says this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give to you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, we find this same verse repeated uh, again later on in the Gospels. And we know that Mary is the one who received this first sign of Christmas, that she would conceive and give birth to the Son of God without the help of a man. You see, the virgin birth was a supernatural sign with no precedent in biblical history. Yes, if you study the Old Testament, you will find several examples of God overcoming the barrenness of a woman to give her a miracle baby. You could point to Hannah or Sarah, perhaps Rachel, or yes, even Samson's mother. But I'm telling you that the virgin birth, the sign of the sun, was a new thing in the already impressive catalog of God's wonders. All of those heroes from the Old Testament, they had sinful earthly fathers. But Jesus would come into this world in a way that was totally different from any other baby. He would be supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And what that meant is that being virgin born, Jesus would be 100% human and yet would remain 100% divine because He would not inherit a fallen nature just like every other son of Adam or daughter of Eve had, thus qualifying Him to be an all-sufficient Savior so that when His blood was shed, it was the payment needed for your life and my sin to be atoned for. Oh, friend, I'm telling you today, the Creator in a cradle. I'm talking about the Messiah in a manger, deity in diapers. Yes, God with an umbilical cord. So human He suckled milk, and yet so divine that angels worshipped Him. The sign of the Son. Philip Yancey mused in wonder about this in one of his books. Look at what he wrote, this great quote. He said, The God who came to earth came not in a raging whirlwind, nor in a devouring fire. Unimaginably, the Maker of all things shrunk down, 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 so small as to become an ovum, a single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape. The God who roared, who could order armies and empires like pawns on a chessboard. This God pierced through the night with the cries of a baby in Bethlehem who could not speak, eat solid food, or control his bladder, who depended upon a nervous teenager for shelter, food, and love. Oh my goodness, the sign of the Son. And friend, this first sign says to us, 
that God with Him all things are possible. Uh, some folks say, I can't believe it. But friend, if you know the God of Genesis 1-1, if He can stand out on nothing and call it all into existence, fling stars from His fingertips, pull up dirt and create a man, then He can create a body for the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of a little teenage girl. I have no problem believing it. The sign of the Son. Then I also want you to see here sign number two, the sign to the sleeping. The sign to the sleeping. If you got your finger in Matthew chapter 1, you're in the right place. Go on down to verse 18 and we'll read. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His Mary mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Watch this. Here's the sign of the sleeping. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Soon after Mary learns that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, here you find Joseph in Matthew 1, getting word from the angel through the dream not to divorce Mary because she was carrying the Son of God. Now, in fact, this is the first of five dream sequences that we read about in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. We have the first one here in chapter 1. There's another in chapter 2 and verse 12, verse 13, 19, and 22. And in Matthew's account, God will deliver four messages through dreams to Joseph and one to the Magi. So think about this sign to the sleeping. God speaking to folk in their sleep. Now we don't know much about Joseph. The Bible doesn't record any of his words. He never speaks. He's the strong, silent type, you might say. But Joseph was an ordinary man with an extraordinary faith because every time you see God coming to him and speaking to him in a dream, Joseph obeys the word of the Lord. And friend, this is quite remarkable because what it says to me is you don't have to understand fully the word of God to obey it faithfully. Uh, we uh, don't have to understand everything that God asks us to do or what the result might be, our outcome is determined by God and our responsibility is just to obey what He asks us to do. So naturally the question arises as we read this passage. Does God still speak through dreams today? And honestly, if you search the Scriptures, there's nothing that says that's impossible. We know that God's primary means of communication to us today is through His Word and His Spirit. But friend, He's a big God. I'm not going to be the first one to put Him in a box. If He wants to speak to somebody through a dream, my God can do it. Now, I've read numerous stories of people in closed countries. These are people in Muslim countries or communist countries where they have had dreams or visions, and the result of that is faith in Christ. Caitlin and I have a friend, a lady who grew up in Iran. 
And when she tells her testimony to us, she says that before she was a Christian, she had a dream experience where Jesus Christ appeared to her in dazzling white and told her, this Muslim woman, I am the way, the truth, and the life. She never forgot that dream. And then later on, she heard the gospel and made a profession of faith. Christian author Lee Strobel wrote a book a few years ago called The Case for Miracles. In that book, he talks about how right now in our world, God is speaking to the Muslim world through dreams. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, More Muslims have become Christians in the last couple of decades than in the previous 1,400 years since Muhammad. And it is estimated that a quarter to a third of them experience a dream or vision before their salvation experience. Friend, I'm here today to tell you, don't put God in a box. He spoke to Joseph in the Old Testament. He spoke to Joseph in the New Testament. And friend, uh, that's what this second sign tells us. That God is here. That God is powerful. That that God is not silent. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through His Spirit and through His preachers and through songs. And yes, if He needs to get a message to somebody through a dream, my God will make a way. The signs to the sleeping. And the sign of the sun. Then I also want you to see our third sign here today. The sign of the star. Flip over one chapter into Matthew chapter 2. And notice what the Bible says, verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men came to Jerusalem, saying, here it is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The sign of the star. Now, for centuries, scholars have spilled ink and debated and speculated about what this star could be. Some say it was a comet. Some think it was a planetary conjunction. Some say it was the Shekinah glory of God. Well, I'll tell you what, based on the biblical record, I can say that this star didn't behave anything like what we would like to put in a scientific box. It wasn't predictable. It wasn't normal. It appeared for a precise time. The Bible says that it endured for many days, and it converged with other prophetic signs. The sign of the sun and the, the dreams and all these other prophetic things that God was doing on the earth. And moreover, this star had the uncanny ability to change direction, to act like a homing beacon, to guide the Magi to Bethlehem. Friend, I can't explain the Bethlehem star any more than I can explain the virgin birth and the incarnation. And I think that's the point. I don't understand it all, but praise God, I believe it all. And I'm glad that there's a God smarter than Derek McCarson, more powerful than I could ever imagine to be, and He knows how to do these great and mighty things. Oh, friend, Christmas is a time for miracles. A virgin birth, a Son of God becoming a Son of Man, a star in the sky. One thing we can say for certain is that this Bethlehem star was used by God to guide these Gentile seekers from a faraway land. You see, God had patented GPS a long time before the NASA engineers scribbled it down in their notes. 
the star, what I see here that's most important for you and I is that it's a symbol that God is faithful and that God sees to it that those who diligently seek after Him, He'll make a way for them to get to Jesus. And friend, I'm here today to tell you that if, if you have sought Him, it's because He first sought you. Jesus said in John 6, No man may come to me except the Father who sent me draw him near. Oh, friend, look back at your past. Think about your spiritual journey. Just as those magi traveled many days and many miles to get to Jesus, uh, what was your spiritual journey like? Uh, what did you have to go through before uh, Jesus changed your life? Friend, I'm telling you that every Christian, every born-again, blood-bought child of the King can look back at their history and thank God that there was a star in their life a person, a faithful friend, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a neighbor, a mama or a daddy who believed God, and they were that star that told you about Jesus, that led you to the feet of the Savior. Oh, friend, and God put somebody in your path. He sent somebody whose light was bright, somebody whose love was real, and that's what we can do this Christmas. That's what we can get excited about, church, that we could be that connecting point for somebody to find Jesus and hear the good news that their sins can be forgiven. Recently read of a man named Elliot Oswit. I read about him on the Gideon's International website and how he came to know Jesus in an unlikely way. You say, is God still seeking? Oh yes, he's still seeking the lost today. Listen to this. Elliot had lived a life of debauchery and sin. He'd been a drunk. He was unfaithful to his wife, this article said. And on Christmas Eve of 1996, Elliot's wife gave him an ultimatum. She told this old boy, Hey, you better get your life right or we're getting a divorce. And so he was kicked out of his house on Christmas Eve. Elliot checked into a hotel room. He had his gun with him. His plan was to go in and commit suicide. But before he pulled the trigger, Elliot looked over on the table. And you know what he saw? An open Gideon Bible. And the first verse that his eyes crossed was John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I giveth unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For my Father's house are, are many mansions. <laughs> If it were not so, I would have told you that where I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And he read this glorious, simple Bible truth off of that white page. And he said there in that dirty little hotel room on Christmas Eve, he put his gun down and he bowed on the side of that bed and he came to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he walked out of that hotel room born again, saved, redeemed, and heaven bound. Here's what he told reporters in that, that article. On Christmas Eve he said, The Bible stopped me in my tracks. It caused me to cry when I read about Jesus' love for me. That night, he said, began a process of healing that eventually led to reconciliation with my entire family, even my strange wife. He said, I thank God for saving me and for the Gideons being so faithful to put that Bible there, which led me 
to Jesus Christ. An interesting side note, that article also said that this man, Elliot Oswit, went to Fruitland Bible College. Yes, right out here, our Fruitland, trained to become a pastor and served for many years. My goodness. Oh, friend, if you seek him, it's because he has first sought you. And what the sign says here today is that God is seeking to save the lost. Hey, friend, if God is willing to show up in a stable, if Jesus is willing to come down to the dirt and the manure and the poverty of this world, friend, He'll be willing to come to where you are in a dirty hotel room, in a pit of depression, in a hospital room, at a funeral home, yes, even in the penthouse of luxury. He'll find you where you are and save you and clean you up. That's what this sign says to me. This saying is faithful and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, Paul said, of which I am chief. Somebody say amen in the house of God today. We've seen three signs of Christmas. There's the sign of the sun. There was the sign to the sleeping the sign of the star that God is seeking the lost to bring them to Jesus Christ. And then number four, I want you to see this. How about the sign of Scripture? The sign of Scripture. We notice this also in the Gospel of Matthew. Stay there in chapter 2 and go down to verse 3. You'll see what I'm speaking of. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet also, verse 5. And then in verse 6 it said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now scholars have noted that there are over 300 prophecies concerning the first advent of Jesus. Nineteen of those prophecies were fulfilled at His birth. Seven of those nineteen were fulfilled through His lineage, and the others were fulfilled through various circumstances that we read about in the Gospels. Now, one of the most stunning of which is what we just read, that prophecy given by Micah, quoted there by Herod's brain trust in Matthew chapter 2, spoken 700 years in advance before Jesus was to come. The sign of Scripture, my friend. And the fact is that this prophecy is amazing because like so many others that Jesus fulfilled, it would be impossible to fulfill this by human manipulation. You tell me, how would you arrange for yourself to be born by such a family, to have such a lineage, and to arrive at such a specific time in an already predetermined space. You see, friend, we don't get the luxury of picking our parents, our nationality, or our DNA. But the only way that this prophecy could be fulfilled is if you're eternal God and you're outside the constraints of time and space and you can pick and choose when you decide to enter into this world. And what's fascinating to me is when you expand the Christmas story and you read both Matthew and Luke, what you find out is that 
The prophecy said Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. But if you know anything about Mary and Joseph's background, they don't live in Bethlehem. <laughs> they live in Nazareth about 80 miles away. So how are we going to be seeing prophecy fulfilled if they don't live in the city where he's supposed to be born well friend I'm telling you God is sovereign and he tapped the most powerful man on the earth uh, uh, right there on the shoulder I'm talking about Caesar Augustus the Roman emperor and he said hey Caesar I've got a little favor for you to do uh, could you get an edict could you send out a word that all the people should be registered in their hometown and friend that thing that we read about in Luke chapter 2 is the mechanism that God used to put the whole world in motion so that Mary and Joseph would have to get up and leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem and all of this had to coincide with Mary's pregnancy so that she would arrive at the right place at such a critical time that Jesus the Son of God would be born into this world friend I'm telling you if that doesn't get you excited and your wood's wet today I'm talking about the sign of Scripture that God's Word will be fulfilled down to the jot and the tittle uh, heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away uh, his word is settled in the heavens and he said in Isaiah I'll tell you the end from the beginning for I declare to you the things which are of old the end from the beginning and everything in between are you beginning to put it together you see how A and B goes together and it gets to Z because all these signs were coming together just as God said it would. You know, one of our national heroes was a founding father by the name of Noah Webster. His claim to fame was the monumental task of putting together our modern English dictionary in the year 1828. Here's an interesting thing that I learned about him. Early in his life, he floundered from one career to another. He was a skeptic. When it came to Christianity, he said, I can't believe all the miracles and all of the tremendous claims in the Bible. Well, he went one day to hear a preacher, and the preacher gave a challenging sermon on Bible prophecy. And this sent Webster into an investigation of the Bible until finally he came to the point in his life when all the arguments that he had against God could no longer stand up against the evidence. Evidence is a brutal gang of facts that will tear down the skepticism of an atheist. Webster eventually bent his knee and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Well, when he did, he was so chided by his fellow academics about his faith that he decided to write a little pamphlet explaining why he became a Christian. And he said it was because of fulfilled Bible prophecy that sealed the deal for him. And notice specifically what prophecy he was talking about. Look at this statement that he issued in that tract. He said, I once had doubts, but my mind is now satisfied on the divinity of Christ. That the prophecies concerning Jesus and the astounding train of events recorded in history as preparatory for his birth and appearing had a tremendous effect in assuring my mind of Christ's divinity and of the inspiration of Scripture. And I've studied it forward, back, table of contents and maps, every which way. I'm telling you, this Word, you can stand on. You can live your life by it. God's Word is reliable. And this fourth sign tells us that God is not only a great 
promise maker. But friend, He is a great promise keeper. And if He came the first time and all of it was fulfilled, He's coming back a second time and every part of it will see it. My goodness, the signs of Christmas. We see the sign of the Scriptures. The sign to the sleeping. The sign of the sun and the sign of the star. But then I want you to notice this, the sign in the stable very quickly the sign in the stable you remember the story in Luke chapter 2 that as the shepherds were out there watching their flocks by night the angels appeared there in Bethlehem skies and look at what Luke chapter 2 verse 12 says that they were to look for and this will be a here it is a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Have you ever wondered why that would be a sign? You ever read that and think, how peculiar. Why, why would they be looking for a baby in a manger? Well, this was something that the shepherds could understand solely because of their occupation. Listen to what Bible scholar Michael Norton explained. This is great. He said this, Sheep that were raised in the fields of Bethlehem and destined for the temple in Jerusalem had to be perfect specimens. They could have no spot, blemish, or broken limbs. When the shepherds would birth newborn lambs, they would reach into the mother's womb, pull the lamb out, and then they would wrap the lamb in swaddling because if it harmed any of its limbs in any way, it would be disqualified as a sacrifice. Once the lamb was wrapped, he was laid in a manger until it was calmed down, and ready to return to his mother. No wonder then that the shepherds and the shepherds alone were given this sign. They would have recognized the significance of it, that this child was different, that this child was born for a purpose, just as their lambs were headed to Jerusalem to be sacrificed for sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He was born in such a way that it was a preview of His coming, uh, which was His mission to die on that cross, the Lamb of God for your sin and for mine. And so, friend, what I see here about this sign is something great. This sign shows us that when God came down, He came down to the lowest. He came down to the rejects. He came down to the outsiders, the folk that everybody had forgotten of. He didn't go to the princes. He didn't go to the kings. He didn't go to the scholars or the politicians. He announced the birth through the angels to the lowly shepherds. And friend, what that means is that's good news for you and me because I'm just an average man. And Jesus came to die for people like that. Thank you, Jesus. The sign in the stable. Friend, I want you to know something here today. The Christmas story is not a rags to riches story. It's a riches to rags story. He gave it all up. And when He came down, He came all the way down. The sign in the stable. Then sixthly, I want you to see the sign of Simeon. And here's where we finish up today. The sign of Simeon. Are you glad you came to hear the Word of God? Luke chapter 2, look what happens later on after the birth of Jesus. Verse 25, the Bible says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles for your glory and for your people Israel. And his father and mother, watch this, marveled at all that was said about him. The sign of Simeon. According to Jewish custom, Mary and Joseph, eight days after the birth, brought baby Jesus there into the temple, Jerusalem, so that he might be circumcised according to the law. But little did they know that there was this old man, Simeon, who would be waiting on them when they got there. You see, Simeon had been living a long time with a promise from the Lord. God had told him through the power of the Holy Spirit, Simeon, you won't go to the grave until first your eyes lay upon my Savior, my Messiah who's coming. And wouldn't you know that God providentially worked behind the scenes? He ordered the steps of that old man who creaked and groaned probably with arthritis up the steps of that temple and he got there. You imagine how many days Simeon went by and there was no word from the Lord. Maybe he searched the Scriptures. God, when's He coming? Lord, when are you going to fulfill your promise to me? And then, praise God, the day finally came. The Holy Spirit got him up out of bed and said, Simeon, <laughs> today's the day. Get ready and go to the temple. The Bible doesn't tell us how he knew what to look for, but can't you imagine this old man maybe leaning on a cane, standing there at the door of the temple, looking around, scanning the people as they coming in. And his eyes set upon Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and maybe the Holy Spirit said to him, There's the one. The sign of Simeon. And so, friend, what I want you to see is this. Simeon was a man who lived with expectancy. Simeon is a man who lived on his tiptoes waiting for the one who would come to save Israel. What I want to draw this point of application goes like this. We're a lot like Simeon today, aren't we? Our hope is built on Jesus Christ. Not the first coming. Oh yes, we look to that for our salvation. But we're longing for His second coming. Just as Simeon was given that word, you'll see the Savior. Oh friend, I pray that we're that generation. We're that generation who gets to go up in the cloud and get that one-way ticket out of this world and see Jesus face to face. That's my blessed hope. That's what Titus 2.13 says, that we are to eagerly wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friend, here's what's fascinating. Here's where I want to bring it all together and tie a bow on it. When you look at that first coming of Jesus, all the convergence of signs, look at all the things that was going on in the world. God was fulfilling prophecy. God sent a star. God did miracles through the virgin birth and the incarnation. God spoke to old men. And God spoke to Joseph through dreams. 
and so on we could go. And what I want you to see here is just as there was a convergence of prophetic signs accompanying Jesus' first coming, there's a convergence of prophetic signs going on now today in our world that are telling us, hey, the end is near, it's drawing nigh, Jesus Christ is about to come. I made a little list here. Here's some of the signs that the Bible is very clear about. We see Bible prophecy being fulfilled in the same way today. Notice this, Israel is dwelling in her land. Our president, President Trump, has secured peace in the Middle East with some of these peripheral countries. We are certainly living in these perilous days with folk living in fear and all the turmoil uh, over the global pandemic. We're certainly living in those perilous times that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. And not only that, but Jesus said that the times before He come again, that the world would resemble the days of Noah. Don't we see that in our culture with the violence going on in our streets and the sexual perversion that is celebrated in every space of our country? We're living in those decadent and depraved days of Noah. Friend, we're moving toward globalism so fast and you'll hear people say the great global reset and COVID has made that possible where a certain group of elites can grab power and set up the world with a cashless economy just like Revelation 13 talks about and Daniel talks about in Daniel 7 of that globalism, that one world government that the whole world is moving toward. Not only that, but we see great apostasy in our church today. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 talks about a great falling away where now you go to most churches and they don't preach from the book or the blood. They don't talk about the blessed hope because they're about prosperity, health and wealth, or man-made doctrines. We see technology moving our world forward at a rapid pace. Persecution of the church going on in third world countries. And yes, friend, it's soon coming, I believe, to these United States. And there is great skepticism all over our world. They said, <laughs> they scoffed at Jesus. And the Bible says that in 2 Peter chapter 3 that they scoff about His second coming. So friend, here's where it comes down to. The signs are clear. Are we paying attention? Are you ready? If Jesus were to come today, if we were to be that generation who were to go up by the cloud, or maybe Jesus were to allow you to die and go by the cloud, are you ready to meet Him either way? He's Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Luke 12, 40, that the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let me finish with this today. A few years ago, there was a CBS reporter named Steve Hartman. He told the amazing story of a 10-year-old girl named Bethany Arnold. Listen to this. On the last day before school let out for Christmas break at the Tar River Elementary School near Raleigh, North Carolina, Bethany's second grade class had a party and Santa made an appearance. Each child received a gift except for Bethany. You see, weeks before the party, each kid wrote a letter telling Santa what they wanted for Christmas. Bethany didn't ask for toys or a puppy. Here's what her letter said. Dear Santa, my daddy is in Iraq serving with the army. Could you bring him home for Christmas? That would be the best gift of all. 
You see, Bethany's dad, Wendell Arnold, was serving in the military and had only seen Bethany twice in two years. At their last meeting a year before, Wendell, her dad, gave his daughter a heart keychain. He carried one as well, and he told her, While I'm away, you carry my heart, and I will carry yours. And when I get back, I'll give you your heart back. Well, as the party wrapped up, the kids were given a chance to sit on Santa's knee and have a photo. But when Bethany sat on Santa's knee, he said, I have a special gift for you today, honey. And he pulled out of his pocket that familiar heart pendant. You see, Bethany's jaw dropped. Then Santa took off his beard and his hat, and it was revealed to be her dad, Wendell. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. And friend, here's what I want to say to you. If that dad can keep his promise, then how much more can the Son of God keep his promise and come back and return and receive us unto himself? And if we had that same longing for Jesus' return, as that little girl longed to see her daddy, oh friend, don't you think we could take the joy and expectancy of Christmas all through the years? And friend, I'm here today to tell you that the first coming won't be like the second coming. You see, the first time He came, there was few who knew about it. But when He comes back again, every eye will see Him coming on the clouds with glory. The first time He came, a star appeared in the sky. But the Bible says in Isaiah that when He comes again, the heavens will roll up like a scroll and the stars will fall from the sky. The first time He came, He was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But my Bible tells me in Revelation 19 when He comes back again, He's wearing the royal robes of a king that's been dipped in blood. The first time He came, He was placed in a manger. But the second time He's coming back to sit on David's throne. The first time He came, they said, you can't stay here. There's no room for you in the inn. But friend, when He comes back again, according to Psalm 24, they're going to roll out the red carpet and say, make way for the King. Make way for the King. The first time He came, He split time in half, B.C. and A.D. And I'm telling you, when He comes back again and He puts His feet down on the earth, Zechariah 14 says He'll split the earth in two. Are you ready for the coming of the King? Praise God, if I didn't know Him today, if I was playing church, if I wasn't sure I was saved, I'd come down to this altar and I'd get it right today. And I'd find out something about redeeming grace and mercy and what it truly means to have the Savior in your life. I'm thankful for the signs of Christmas, aren't you? My life's different because of Him. Can you say the same?